All right, you ready, AJ? Aye, aye, copy that. Okay. <laughs> This episode is sponsored by Kendo UI. Kendo UI allows you to build better apps faster. They have a comprehensive library ranging from data grids and charts to buttons and sliders. Plus, you can use their components as plain JavaScript as well as in Angular, React, and Vue. They have a large collection of customizable popular themes like Bootstrap and Material. Go check them out at javascriptjabber.com slash kendo UI. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of JavaScript Jabber. This week on our panel, we have AJ O'Neill. Yo, 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 coming at you live from Provo, Utah. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have a special guest, and that's Johannes Schickling. Hey, everybody. Excited to be here again. Yeah, it's been a while. I think last time we talked about GraphCool, and then I think we may have talked about Prisma at some point on Adventures in Angular. But you, you've had some pretty exciting stuff go on this year. Um, yeah, for sure. It has been like uh, quite, quite busy last half a year for us with plenty of launches, plenty of announcements, and uh, lots of great feedback from the, from the community. So I'm, I'm happy to share a bit more like the, the behind the scenes and like how, what, what's happened for us for over the last couple of months. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's, let's talk really briefly about... Uh, the seed round that you raised, and then we can go back and we can talk about GraphCool and morphing into Prisma and what you're working on now. Does that sound like a good progression? For sure. So yeah, so let's let's dive in. Um, so you you guys raised a seed round. You were actually doing the press stuff when we were scheduled to record last week, so we rescheduled. Um, do you want to just <laughs> fill us in on what's going on with that? And, how that for went? sure. And, uh, th thanks again for being so flexible on, on, on the scheduling. Um, so yeah, last uh, last Tuesday actually, and to, so to, today is like um, Monday, May twenty first. So last Tuesday on the fifteenth, we had our big big announcement. Two big announcements actually. Like first that we are rebranding from GraphCool into Prisma, and also that we've announced our uh, seed round. So we've raised four point five million dollars from some pretty good investors based here in, uh, in San Francisco. So our seed round was led by, by Kleiner Perkins, which some of you might know. And we have a couple of other uh, really great investors on board uh, of related, very relevant companies. So we have the founder and CEO of Algolia. We have the founder of, of Site, Uh We have the founder of Kong. Um, and ver various other uh, very interesting people on board that, that help us with their with the experience and also just building the new kind of stack of, of software uh, and development tools for, for the next decade. So it's, we're, we're super excited to have brought everybody together there. Cool. So what are you hoping to do with the seed money? Um, that's mostly to, to, to grow the team. So right now, as, we, as we're speaking, we're nine people. Uh, towards the end of this year, we're, we're almost um, going to, to double the team. Um, and, and grow, grow really like different functions of the team, whether it's, it's um, marketing to, to keep our docs up to date. Uh, obviously, we're, we're going to build a lot of database connectors. So we just need a lot of engineering capacity to, to, to build all of this, uh, all of the software. Um, also to help with, um, with evangelizing where we're looking to hire dev advocates. And just also as growing a company there, it's not just like programming, but like building a company is just like requires, requires a lot of, a lot of work. 
So also non-engineering roles that we're bringing on. Mm. And yeah, that's, that's what's where most of the money is going to really. Awesome. And all of that, all that work goes into making GraphQL and, uh, uh, data layer stuff easier to do, right? Exactly. So this is where we just see like a huge opportunity and a huge change in the, in the way how people build software, most specifically about build a client server communication, service, service to service communication and GraphQL just space plays such an important role in that, that we, that we think there's, there's a, that we, we can provide so much value by offer by building Prisma as a as a common data access layer that people can use in their own applications that we, we are willing to to put in a lot of work there. So um, yeah, maybe I, I I can also at a later point and um, throughout throughout this podcast speak a bit more about like what that specifically means and mm-hmm. how that provides value to how how that provides value to developers. Since I think that's uh, may- maybe not super straightforward when hearing the term data layer in the first uh, the first time. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, why don't we talk about what Prisma is? Yeah, for sure. So uh, I think there there are various ways to to skin this cat. So um, one one way uh, would be as you want to build as a developer, as you want to adopt GraphQL, there are two parts that you need to do. Um, one, on the one hand, as you're building a React app or whatever front-end framework you're using, you want to consume a GraphQL API, so you're using maybe Apollo client, maybe maybe Relay. So that's that front-end facing part of GraphQL. But to make use of that, you also need a GraphQL server. So right. they're like as, as everybody who wants to adopt GraphQL, you're going to be, uh, you, you, you'll face the scenario that you need to build the GraphQL server. And this is where various parts uh, of work are ahead of you. And one of the the most significant amount of work is really like this mapping from your API, from your resolvers to a data source. And most often that means connecting an API to your database. And this is basically where Prisma comes in. We want to make that significantly easier for you to build a GraphQL server talking to a database. So that's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is like if you're having, if you're building a, a backend system and especially if it grows bigger, then you're thinking about your, your backend architecture sort of in layers, right? So you have typically you have your, your database layer and then you have your entire backend server layer. And that's also split up into various parts. And mm-hmm. so if you're thinking back, maybe like you have a, MVC pattern where you have controllers, models, and views. Um, and if in, in most systems, that's a bit simplified into a database layer, into a API logic layer, and sitting in between, you have a data access layer. And often that is simply a ORM. Um, and as you, as you progress along, um, and as you scale up your applications. Most ORMs don't really hold um, hold for for all the all the requirements, all the real world requirements of large scale applications. So they don't perform well, uh, or you you hit certain flexibility limitations um, for for the API that you're building. So you're building your own custom data access layer, mostly by still writing manual SQL queries, mm-hmm. and that's sort of the part that we are replacing with Prisma by giving you a really performant and flexible data access layer through the power of GraphQL. 
That makes sense. I mean, I've had to build some GraphQL backends. I don't know if you've done this yet, uh, AJ. Have you done a lot with GraphQL on the back end or mostly on the front end? No, I haven't messed with it other than uh, just looking at a couple of the examples and stuff. And I think the idea is really cool. Yeah. I, so just to give a little bit of background on what I've done, um, I've played with uh, uh, basically Ruby Ruby and Ruby on Rails and then um, used the gem to, to build those systems. And what you wind up doing is you wind up writing these reducers, you know, like Johannes said, he basically, you tell it, okay, go do this lookup. <laughs> you know, when, when they ask for this data, do this lookup. And when they ask for this data, do that lookup. And some of it's pretty natural from the standpoint of the ORM, and some of it really isn't. And some of it's kind of a pain, and some of it's really a pain. And so, you know, the idea behind Prisma where it's, hey, look, you know, we'll just work off of the, the database and, you know, give you something that you can kind of wrap up in the rest of your GraphQL API is something that really appeals to me because they'll do a lot of this work and they can actually look at the database and make recommendations. Exactly. So a uh, um, little nitpick here on terminology. Maybe it's called Reducer in, um, in Ruby, but I think you're referring to, to Resolver functions. Resolver, so yes, you're right. It, they call them <laughs> Resolvers in the gem. Right, right. So, and and maybe uh, one more thing to to add at there for for the listeners, since one one thing that we are seeing uh, from a lot of people uh, who are looking at Prisma is like that they not immediately understand um, why you would want to use Prisma. And I think that this is where we can really divide uh, developers into two groups: like one group that has already tried to build a GraphQL server, and the other group who hasn't. And I think it's for for the one who hasn't for the group who hasn't built a GraphQL server yet, um, that these these people I would really encourage to try to build a GraphQL server themselves, since then the value of Prisma gets very very um, apparent, um, where there are like so so many little things that you have to do yourself, especially when you think about um, implementing that data access. In a, in a very efficient way. So there's like this concept of a data loader mm -hmm. um, and thinking about how I do all of that efficiently and, um, and and scale it out. This is where Prisma gives you really nice uh, a really nice layer of abstraction um, that that just allows you to to frankly like delete code and keep your keep your like keep you focused on building the the business logic and um, keep helps you to expose the schema that you want while letting Prisma do the heavy lifting of resolving the data from your database. So that's, I, I think that that's really like what, what we've seen so far. Uh, the people who where it clicks the most for are the people who've already tried to build their own GraphQL server and implementing all of these resolvers and trying to make that efficient. So that, that that's quite exciting for us. Yeah. I <laughs> It, it, it was a pain for me, so <laughs> just <laughs> so I, I think it's, it gets especially interesting um, when when you're working with multiple databases. Since I think in today's stack, maybe as you're building a smaller application, you're still sticking with like a Postgres database or Mongo database. But as you're building out larger applications and as you're scaling out your um, as as you put it into production and you have to scale out. This is where where you really run into situations where you have to pick various kinds of specialized databases 
that allow you to to give you certain query characteristics and uh, certain performance characteristics. So this is the moment where you start to compose multiple kinds of databases. So you where you would mind, uh, where you'd want to use MongoDB and, and additionally maybe Elasticsearch and additionally you would use Redis. And this is what makes implementing that GraphQL server or any sort of server even more complicated because you have to think, okay, where does my data live? You have certain query languages for all these, these different kinds of databases. And this is what, we are, what we're going uh, after with Prisma, that we see, okay, in today's, today's backends are very often composed out of multiple databases, multiple data backends. Um, how can we provide one query abstraction layer um, uh, across all of these data sources that you can use GraphQL to resolve data across all of these data sources in one query, and we make sure that it's, that it's um, resolved efficiently. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and that makes a lot of sense just from the performance standpoint. I'm also wondering, though, I mean, I've worked on systems that had multiple backend databases. So can you point Prisma at more than one at a time and make it work? Right. So um, not yet. So right now, um, so that that maybe gives it also a bit more insight into our, our into our product roadmap. So right now, Prisma supports um, two da two databases, MySQL and Postgres. We'll shortly also add support for for MongoDB and shortly after for Elasticsearch and, and various other kinds of databases. Um, so the first phase for us is really like implementing um, implementing access and implementing con connectors to various different kinds of databases and in a second state in the second phase um, we we will implement the possibility that you can use multiple databases together so that that's something that's probably coming up for for next year right how do you control access to the graphql endpoint that prisma gives you because um, it seems like okay you know I go I point it at my database, I set all the things up and then and then what, right? You know, people come and they can just access all of my data all the time. You know, usually right. I'm I'm hiding data under certain circumstances and I'm not showing all the data unless you're logged in and things like that. Does Prisma have a mechanism for that? Okay, so that that that's a fantastic point. And I think that's actually the biggest misconception that we have about Prisma. That people think, okay, you you take Prisma, you put it in front of your database, and then you start using it from React or what, whatever GraphQL client that you have. Um, this this is more like how we how we build GraphQL. That did you have like a backend service that gives you a ready to use GraphQL API out of the box? With Prisma, we're taking a different um, a different approach there. So with Prisma, we'd rather want to make it easy for you to build your own GraphQL server by giving you like an abstraction layer and giving you building blocks to make it easier to build your own GraphQL server. So you wouldn't use Prisma directly from the client, but you would rather talk to Prisma from your own GraphQL server. You're still building your own GraphQL server that you're talking, for, uh, talking to from the client, but the way how you build your GraphQL server is a lot simpler. Um, and this is where like access control, like and any kind of business logic that you would have, you're building in your GraphQL server. So authentication, authorization, any sort of business logic. And then you're using GraphQL bindings to sort of wire up 
your GraphQL API to Prisma's GraphQL API. So, and this is where, like, yeah, this this sort of wiring you would do using using GraphQL bindings, where you use schema stitching under the hood, um, and this allows you to define the kind of schema that your application um, should have and can map it to Prisma's auto-generated GraphQL API. That that makes a lot of sense. And I, I believe I asked that same question and already had the answer from our episode on Adventures in Angular, but I couldn't figure out how to ask, <laughs> how to get you to explain that without uh, being more confusing. So, um, but yeah, I, I really love that idea. So then how do, how do I go about um, merging, say, uh, the Prisma setup with any other setup that I have for my own GraphQL endpoints and, um, uh, you know, the, the different parts that I've built into my own application. I keep wanting to say reducers, and I know that that's not right, but, uh, you know, <laughs> the, the backend pieces that translate. Resolvers, yeah. Resolvers, yeah. So how, how do I blend my own resolvers then with Prisma? Right. So um, all of this is like super flexible and a very elegant solution that GraphQL offers to you. Like it's basically just leverage how you build your own GraphQL server. So on a high level for, for people who are not familiar with how you build a GraphQL server, um, you basically have to do two things. Um, first, you have to define what does your schema look like. So defining your schema basically like as you already know, like how you would define a schema for a database, it's very similar, but you define a schema for your application. Um, so that basically means you're defining type definition. So you say a user has a name, which is of type string, and has like an age, which is, which is of type float. And you're just defining like your, your entire schema for your application. So this is just the structural information. The second part that you have to do is implementing all of these resolver functions. So the resolver functions is basically just a map of functions that that the function gets automatically called when a user's name is requested or a user's age is requested. And that's sort of a hierarchical structure that, that gets executed at the right time to resolve the data that you need. So that, that is just recapping of like how you build a GraphQL server. So now let's get to the point of how you would have multiple GraphQL APIs um, and you use you basically reuse multiple GraphQL APIs to build your own GraphQL server. That's it. That's the entire idea of what schema, what's called schema stitching. So it's really like a good analogy is as you have in, uh, in, in React, you have React components and you can build React, you can define React components by reusing other React components. You can compose graph, uh, React components out of uh, other React components. And you can do the same thing with GraphQL APIs and GraphQL servers. You can basically say, as you define your, as you have different schemas for different GraphQL endpoints, you can reuse these schemas as you're defining your new GraphQL schema. And in your resolver, now coming to the resolver part, this is where you basically just delegate to another GraphQL API. So this is basically um, the entire the entire trick of how you minimize the work that you need to do as you build your own GraphQL server. That in your in your own resolvers, it instead of directly resolving the actual data, you just say like, actually, let's um, let's just take this other GraphQL API and that takes care of resolving that data, and you just forward the, um, the the actual resolution. 
So that that's sort of the idea, and that so that th sounds fairly theoretical, but it's actually super easy if you if you're looking at some code, and that just makes it like su super simple to think about your graph like your your servers as like Lego building blocks that you can just snap together. So that that allows you really to have like for example Prisma for 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 your own database, but you can also use GitHub's GraphQL API or Yelp's GraphQL API. And just build API and build your own server by reusing, recomposing others, um, other data uh, and other GraphQL APIs. So that that's a really wonderful pattern. That's may, maybe a bit abstract to think about uh, as as we're just speaking about it, but it's super easy to get get into it actually. No, I think it makes sense to me. I mean, you'll have like a top level resolver that's either a Prisma resolver. Or you'll have a you know something that you've built as a resolver, and then either way you can delegate certain parts of your schema to Prisma or from Prisma back to your own resolvers, and so you can pretty much get whatever you want. Exactly. Yeah. Hundred percent. When you start a new project, typically you need things like a domain name, hosting, things like that. When I choose hosting, I pick mine for the options it gives. I like to know what I'm getting and set things up just how I like them. This is why, for your projects, you should check out Linode. Linode servers feature native SSD storage, a 40-gigabyte network, and Intel E5 processors. That's all the power you need to run VMs under full control, or Docker containers, who doesn't love that, encrypted disks, and VPNs. Plus, they have 10 data centers across the world and add-ons like Backups, Node Balancer, and Longview to help you control your server costs. They also offer block storage for your static files, and you can get started with a $20 credit if you use the code JavaScriptJabber2018. That credit is good for four months on their one gigabyte server. That's a lot of time to try them out and see if they're the right fit for you. That code again is JavaScriptJabber2018. Also, if you're interested in working for Linode, they're hiring. Head to linode.com slash careers to see their available positions. I've, I've kind of been hogging the mic. AJ, do you have some things you want to bring up? So one thing I'm wondering is with the roadmap for interfacing with multiple databases, one thing that I don't like about the way databases work is they're inconsistent with their like master slave options. Um, you know, so with one database, you have to have an exact number of like, if you're using two servers, then you can only use this type of consensus. If you're using three or more, you have to use this type of consensus, but you have to have an odd number of servers or, you know, weird things like that. Is there anything to address that type of issue where um, GraphQL could become an abstraction around just here's a database rather than here's a, like manage the cluster, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Right. So I, I think I would differentiate here between like um, what, what it takes to operate a database or like an entire database cluster um, and what sort of like on more on a logical level. Uh, what it takes to 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 get from a database. So I think what what you touched on the uh, touched on first is like just uh, merely the the operational angle. What it what it takes to like scale out the database, and this is where we see like ton tons of advancement. So um, I think for maybe you've heard about uh, newer kinds of databases like CockroachDB. Um, these basically allow you to horizontally scale traditional databases like like Postgres, uh, or there's TidyB that allows you to do that for for MySQL. So this entire operational angle of databases 
is basically solved for you by new types of databases that still give you the the old like the older traditional um, API that they're used to. Like by you can still use Postgres. You just use this new kind of database engine under the hood that allows you to scale. So the operational part is just being solved for you by by newer kinds of databases. Um, what Prisma is rather doing for you. Uh, is uh, is rather helping you to create one abstraction, one universal query language, uh, which which GraphQL is like it enables GraphQL as a universal query language across multiple databases at the same time. Since like even though uh, Cockroach allows you to scale a Postgres database, there are still scenarios where you would might not just use Postgres. But you also use something like Cassandra or Elasticsearch, and that just makes it makes it a lot harder for you to in your own graph in your own server to talk to all of these at the same time. And that complexity is basically then like implemented in in Prisma. So I would really like to 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 sum it up again. Uh, I would really differentiate here between the operational angle, what it takes to operate a database, and how today's um, world looks like in terms of how databases are being split up from a logical perspective. And Prisma helps you a lot with the, from the logical perspective. Okay. So with something like CockroachDB that you just mentioned, um, since it's already exposing a SQL API, would I be able to use the Postgres adapter with something like that? Yeah, exactly. That, that's the entire idea. That, that's already possible today. Oh, cool! So yeah, that's... or Cosmos DB on Microsoft Azure, for example, also implements both MySQL and PostgreSQL. So as long as it's uh, API equivalent, so to speak, you can use it. Exactly. Cosmos DB is like is a bit special in that sense because like a multi-model kinds of database, which which is a, a another type of database that that is just uh, evolving from from um, multiple vendors. Uh, but yeah, that that's exactly the idea. So is this something that people can try out now? Yeah, for sure. So you can basically just go to Prisma.io, um, click on the docs, and uh, like there, there are various ways of how you can how you can get started. There is also a like a fully hosted uh, demo server that comes with a MySQL um, database that we host for you, just for you to basically get your hands dirty and, and try it out. And then you can like also host this yourself. Uh, using Docker, using Kubernetes, or like you, you can host, hosting just works at, at various um, providers. You can use Heroku, you can use SiteNow, uh, you can use anything that that you want to to host this, and uh, super super easy to get started. So is GraphQL itself then going away, or is this just kind of what GraphQL or what yeah what GraphQL would run on top of? So um, Prisma is really the core of like what we've developed with um, with GraphQL. So the, um, the the general idea that we that we see is like um, we still have like a lot of adoption for for GraphQL, and that's that's not going away. So um, we see a lot of front end developers mostly um, looking into into GraphQL that they get a backend up and running really quickly, maybe for prototyping or maybe just for smaller applications that they are building. And what we then see is like for the more serious types of applications, uh, this is where you can then take take your GraphQL backend 
and migrate it over to Prisma. That gives you more control and more flexibility as you're as you're building it. So you would rather see that like as a two-step process. You're starting out with GraphQL. If it's enough for you, you're sticking with GraphQL. And if you need more flexibility and more control, you'd be using Prisma. Mm -hmm. So uh, the thing I was going to ask is, do the people that are building this, are they like uh, um, familiar with the, uh, what, what do you call it, relational algebra? Are they, is, is, is graph, is, is the GraphQL stuff? Well, or you're not, are you dealing with the relational algebra stuff at this layer? That's what I want to ask. Or is that so, all the GraphQL spec and this is just the, the resolver pieces? Right. I think that's a that's a great question. That brings us back to the to the part about this logical abstraction that, that Prisma helps you with. Since um, we we think that what what you've described with this relational algebra that's like specifically for relational databases. But any every different type of database has like different ways to look at it. But ultimately, what you really care about is like sending a query to that database and getting data back. And we well, think GraphQL optimized, which is what you've been talking about too. Right. So the, I think there are two ways of, uh, in terms of optimization. One is like, how do you store the data? And one uh, is how, how, you do, how do you query the data? And obviously how you st store it influences how you query it. But we can basically provide a different layer of abstraction. That's exactly what, what Prisma is. So in a typical relational database, you store the data in a very uh, normalized format which makes them more difficult to query it again since you need to join and, and, and do all of that. And that's basically what Prisma does for you. It, you can choose whatever database you want um, and therefore like what, whatever efficient way to store and query the data. And Prisma still already uh, lifts it up on that level of abstraction that you actually want in your application, which is typically denormalized. So under the hood, we are managing this relational algebra part for you, not just for querying the data, since Prisma actually also allows you uh, and, and helps you with migrating um, your database and defining your data model. So that's that's exactly the two parts that Prisma helps you with. So what's Prisma, Prisma written in? Is it written in JavaScript or is it something else? Right. Um, we started out with JavaScript and then like used Flow for a while, used TypeScript for a while, but since it's really dealing with a lot of complexity um, and performance was also uh, an important factor for us, we then moved over to rewriting it in Scala. So we've rewritten it in Scala roughly two years ago and have been uh, writing it in Scala since then, which has been a pretty good decision for us uh, since it just yeah allows us to to cope with complexity uh, in, in a in a much better way, and uh, there's there's also a very interesting development happening recently. Um, Oracle has been working on this project called Graal, which basically allows you to compile any sort of JVM based system, um, and and actually going beyond the JVM as well, but it allows you to take Scala or Java and compile it compile it into, into native binaries. So that basically allows you to take Prisma and just run it as a, as a binary without needing the JVM. Oh, wow. That would be cool. Yeah, that, that's super exciting for us. Um, and I think really shakes up the entire, the entire Java ecosystem quite a bit. 
Yep. So who should be paying attention to this? I mean, who's who's going to be listening to this and, and think, is this for me? And you're going to say, oh, if you're this kind of developer, you're doing these kinds of things, this is for you. Right. So I think you should definitely pay attention if you're thinking of adopting GraphQL and you need to build a GraphQL server that talks to either your existing database or you're building a new server from scratch with a new database. That's what where Prisma really shines. But more on a bigger picture, like whenever you're actually talking to a database, whether that's through an ORM or directly using SQL queries, this is also where we want to establish Prisma as the default of how you're thinking of interacting with the database. So basically, whenever you have a database involved and you need to talk to that database, that's where, where Prisma comes in. Gotcha. So you rebranded the company to Prisma. Is, is that just to indicate to people that that's your primary focus these days? Yeah, that, that's exactly it. And we've, like, we've taken this step in, in, very sm in, in a couple of smaller steps as well. So we first launched Prisma 1.0 in January this year. And then have really seen like how the community um, embrace Prisma more and more, and that this has really become the focus of the of the entire community. So the best way for us to to show our commitment to to Prisma and show this focus is um, by rebranding. And I think that that has worked out really well so far. And uh, I think we it's it's all about like sending a coherent message to to developers. And that's what a lot of other um, a lot of other languages or tools have already done. MongoDB has done the same things a couple of years ago, and we just followed yeah. that example. Yeah, I don't even remember what they were called before MongoDB. Though, though I do remember Tenzin the reason before. What was that? Tenzin. Tenzin. That's right. So, are you aware of anyone using this in production? Um, yeah. So we are we are help, currently helping uh, a bunch of bigger companies to to roll this out in production. Uh, there's, for example, uh, a UK company called Lat Bible, which is already uh, using this in production, like gets um, millions of queries on, on that. And yeah, so we uh, expect some, some bigger blog posts about this in, in the coming months of um, bigger companies using, using Prisma in production. Nice. Now, I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase this. Um, a lot of times when I pull in third-party systems like Prisma, um, you know, that need to kind of run alongside my application and, and do work. Um, I'm always tempted to not test them because I assume that they just work as advertised. Um, do you recommend that or do you recommend that people actually test to make sure that the things are getting resolved properly? So I think, um, and it's, it's all a matter of maturity, of course. And we, we're, we're just actually about to introduce a new beta process um, to, to make to roll out different Prisma features in, in various maturity stages. But I think that's exactly one of the core promises uh, and the core benefits that Prisma provides to you, that it's one abstraction layer that you don't have to question and that you that you can just rely on. In the same way as, as you're building a front-end application, you don't need to worry about, oh, does React actually transform my DOM in the right way? And that's exactly how we think about the data access through through Prisma, of course, like Prisma incorporates a ton of different edge cases, um, and that that creates a lot of value. But also, um, we we need to make sure that all of these are implemented correctly. So we are writing a ton of tests, and that just means that there sometimes are bugs. 
But generally, we're moving to, to a world where all of that is just um, very reliable and, and rock solid. And so, yeah, I, I think that's, a, to get back to your question, I think that's a bit of a continuous spectrum where things are just constantly being improved. And if you're rolling out Prisma right now with Postgres or MySQL, you should be in a good, pretty good state. So what are the next things you're working on adding? Is it other databases or are there other features you're working on adding as well? Right. So that's basically um, on, we're thinking there in, in three dimensions. So one, it's about adding support for more databases. Second, it's about solidifying the core that we already do have. So there are a couple of features that we, that we have not yet implemented. For example, polymorphic relations or various other um, types of data access that, that just make it easier for you to, to work with data around aggregations and similar things. Um, and the third part is just the adjacent uh, tooling ecosystem. So for example, right now to use Prisma, the easiest way to do that is in the Node ecosystem. But we see so much, so much um, demand in the Go ecosystem, in the Java ecosystem, the Ruby ecosystem. So it's really uh, a high priority for us to bring support, to build out the necessary GraphQL tooling in these other language communities as well. So these are the, the three uh, focus areas for us. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks then. Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. All right, so I'm gonna do a couple of picks. Um... One of my picks is Audible, audible.com. I'm sure I picked it on the show before. Um, I've been doing a lot of audiobook listening lately. I listen to a lot of podcasts too, but I um, I set a limit to myself because I found myself buying books on Audible and then listening to podcasts. And so, and, and a lot of these books I wanted to read and I just was like, okay, how do I prioritize this? So I've determined that for every two hours of um, audiobook listening, I can listen to one podcast episode. And the, the way that I'm doing this, I have a handful of shows that I listen to when they release, period. And so those don't count against that quota. But I have a lot of others that I'm kind of catching up on or kind of not as, um, how do I put it? They're not as timely. And so I can catch up on them later and I don't miss out on a whole lot. And so those are the ones that I've been, uh, you know, um, pushing off. So um, I've really been enjoying that. Um, I've, the, the book I'm listening to right now is called, uh, the five love languages for children. And the five love languages book is pretty well known, you know, as far as, 
um, you know, how you communicate your love to your uh, romantic partner or to, you know, other family members, adult family members. Uh, five love languages for children is basically how you relate to your own children. Or if you are, you know, maybe you're in a position with nieces and nephews or whatever, and you want to deepen that relationship, you know, you, you can use the techniques in the book to figure out how they uh, understand love and then, you know, express it to them in the way that's most natural to them. And I, anyway, I've been really enjoying it. I have five kids, so that, that plays nicely there. Um, you know, it, it makes my life better, I guess I should say. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's been a really terrific thing. Um, and then another one is I've been finding that there are a bunch of backyard homesteader Facebook groups. And my yard has been a mess for years. And so we're finally, um, we basically hit the reset button. So we, we sprayed um, weed killer on the grass to kill the grass. Um, and all of the weeds, the, 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 our lawn was basically 75% weeds. So we just killed it all. And um, anyway, these folks in this, in the group, it's Utah Backyard Homesteaders is the one that I'm a member of. They have been terrific as far as what plant should I be looking at? What tree should I be looking at to plant? Um, you know, how do I get, you know, a lawn in? How do I need to be looking at this? And, um, you know, I've had a few neighbors come over and help too. Um, one neighbor came over and spent like 20 minutes with me just pruning my trees in my yard. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just been really, really helpful um, to get that kind of feedback on my yard. So um, really been enjoying that. And then one last thing is um, I finally, or I, I shouldn't say finally, I've been wanting to do this for a while, but I rebooted charlesmaxwood.com and it's going to have like speaker information and things like that. But most of the programming content is still going to be on devchat.tv. Um, and I think I'll probably put business stuff there too. I may start another blog for podcasting since I'm working on a podcasting system. Um, charlesmaxwood.com is going to have my thoughts on other stuff. So if you don't like my uh, political or religious views, uh, probably not for you. Um, but if you're interested in kind of how I think about things on other areas of life, um, I found that I just need an outlet for that. And I would love to have conversations with people, uh, whether they agree with me or not, but I don't want to have arguments with people about it. So, you know, if it's like, hey, you know, you wrote this blog post about this. Have you thought about this other thing? That's fun to just kind of dig into, you know, well, what if this is true? What does that mean? What is, you know, how does this all go together versus um, some of the other things that wind up happening where people start yelling at, at other people because they just don't get it. And yeah, I'm not so interested in those conversations, but anyway, that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, one last pick. Um, my wife and I signed up for Sling TV, which is kind of a way to cut the cord. You get channels that you can stream to your TV Turns out one of the primary engineers on Sling is my next door neighbor. Uh, he's also a former coworker of mine. Um, but when we signed up, we got a Roku Express. And I've actually really been liking that. I've got it set up in my office. So if I want to watch a show, I can stream shows off of Sling or, you know, any of the other ones. So your Netflix or uh, Amazon Prime Video or anything like that. So if you're looking for a, a rather cheap streaming box, um, it's, it's a nice way to go and it, it works great. So anyway, those are my picks and I, I went on for a long time. AJ, do you have some picks for us? Okay. I've got one. So I finally, after like a year, um, quote, beat 
Breath of the Wild, which is not necessarily difficult to do because you can pretty much take on Ganon out of the gate if you really want to. You don't have to go through the whole story of the game. But I went through most of the story of the game, didn't complete too many of the side quests, maybe a couple dozen or so, and then got like 80 of the 120 shrines. Anyway, um, I decided to start over from scratch with my wife because she doesn't like video games and I'm trying to convince her that this is a story that you play. So it's like reading a book. It's not an evil video game that sucks away your life and turns you into a, a loser. Um, and it's just so magical all over again and I'm so happy about it. So if you're not into Zelda, I don't know what's wrong with you, but you should fix it. See a doctor if you need to. And if you are and you haven't played Breath of the Wild, I don't know what's wrong with you, but you need to fix that too. That's all. Did it work with your wife? Uh, it's it's kind of working. The way that she views it is that it's time that she gets to cuddle up to me and I just stay still and let her cuddle up to me while I play. But she asks questions about the game so I can tell that she's following the story. And she's like, well, wait, this was supposed to happen. When is this going to happen? So I feel like it's successful. There you go. All right, Johannes, what are your picks? Sure. My, my picks are a bit more technical. Um, at least two of them. So uh, something that we're super excited about as a, as a company that has really changed the way how we're um, building products, how we uh, think about marketing materials, about like anything visual really, uh, we're now doing in, in Figma. Uh, so we've been using Sketch for, for a long while before then. And then um, as, we, as we brought on a new designer to our team, he's been using Figma. We sort of adopted that as a, as a whole company. And that's really been a game changer for us uh, as we like collaborate on, on anything visual. So I can highly recommend that one. Also, it's like it's free for people to get started with. So that, that's awesome. Um, something else that uh, I think got in, uh, announced a couple of months ago, but I haven't heard so much about it since then. But uh, it's really a, um, just amazing to use uh, are Netlify functions. So I guess that most, most of the listeners are familiar with Netlify as a way to host your, your static websites, uh, React, React apps, et cetera. But they also support Lambda functions now. So you can basically just within your React app can put in, you can put in like some, some JavaScript code or Go code. Uh, and that will be deployed as Netlify automatically deploys that as Lambda functions for you. So that's an awesome way to build little. Uh, to, to build a bit of business logic around your applications. So I can highly recommend that one. Um, and as a last pick, um, in a bit less than, than a month from now, uh, in rough, roughly three weeks, there will be the GraphQL Europe conference in, in Berlin, uh, where we have some really fantastic speakers, like the, the creators of, of GraphQL and various companies who are, who are running GraphQL in production now for, uh, for a couple of years. Uh, share share their experiences. Um, some uh, there, there will be some announcements around new technologies uh, or new new projects within the GraphQL ecosystem. So for anybody who's looking for an excuse to come out to to Berlin, uh, you can you can get tickets on GraphQLEurope.org. Awesome. Now on the Netlify functions, are those hosted at Amazon or on Netlify? Right. So um, right now, Netlify um, supports Lambda functions. So it basically, f for you under the hood, deploys them to Lambda. I think okay. they're also working on support for 
Azure functions and various other uh, providers. So they, they run on AWS right now. Very cool. All right. Well, if people want to follow you online, see what you're working on these days, um, I'm assuming you're on Twitter and GitHub. Uh, do you blog as well? Where, where is all that stuff? I wish I would have the time to to blog. Uh, I think my last blog post was like from 2014 or so. Um, so <laughs> that's not super up to date. But uh, I'm I'm fairly active on on Twitter um, and also on on GitHub. So Twitter that's underscore Schickling. That's my my last name. I guess you 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 can find it in the in the show notes. Um, I guess that's the best place to find me, or just in our community Slack. So we have a Slack with almost ten thousand um, Prisma users, and so uh, you can also join there on like Slack.prisma.io and uh, just ping me there. Very cool. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this up. Thank you for coming. For sure. It was was awesome to be here again. All right. Well, we will catch everyone next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.